Welcome to Utilizing AI. I'm Stephen Foskett, your host, and today we're talking about the responsibility to make sure that AI is ethical and moral. Before we get started, uh, why don't we meet our uh, co-host, Andy? Sure. Hey, I am Andy Thorai, a guy who's fortunate enough to have AI embedded in my last name. Uh, I am the founder and CEO at thefieldcto.com. Again, that's thefieldcto.com. And I also regularly tweet at, uh, at Andy Thorai. Um, I am an emerging tech strategist, particularly concentrating on AI, ML, edge, and, and cloud-related technologies. I'm Stephen Foskett, organizer of Gestalt IT and uh, Tech Field Day, and uh, enthusiast for all things tech. You can find me online at S. Foskett, and you can find more about this podcast by going to utilizing-ai.com or uh, utilizing underscore AI on Twitter. So Andy, you wrote an article last year for AI Trends. The title was, it is our responsibility to make sure that our AI is ethical and moral. And I think this is right in line with what we've been seeing from a lot of, I don't know, pop culture covers, coverages of AI and so on. Um, the fact that AI sometimes has trouble with black faces or that AI makes um, you know, immoral decisions when confronted by a strategy or by a, a, a certain situation. Um, I think that this is a really important discussion. Maybe you can summarize the whole thing here. Um, what do you think about uh, AI and ethics and morality? That's a pretty big field in my mind, uh, and it's lagging pretty big time. And, and again, that's uh, true with not just AI, but, but with any innovation technology, right? For example, you know, think about cloud or think about other enterprise technologies that came up 10, 20 years ago. Think about even computers when it came up. You know, you are worried about innovating some stuff. For example, when, when Apple and, and Google came out, people were worried about the innovation aspect of it. You know, that, that what it brings to me, to my palm, to my hands and what I can do with that. Then worrying about that starting to spy on me, right? But now all of a sudden we're like, oh, wait a minute you know where, where I am, when I am all the time, and you can track whatever I'm talking to people. For example, you know, you, you, were, you were quoting an example in one of the podcasts that's uh, suggesting Siri, and then Siri woke up. So such kind of, you know, listening to you all the time, where does it put us? I mean, that, those are the things that need to catch up with that. And to answer your specific question, one of the people don't realize, one of the things people don't realize is, um, you know, there are how many human biases that has been identified officially? 180. There are 180 different kinds of biases that are classified. And, and you know, most times we don't even worry about a lot of that. But, you know, those are biases. And bias comes from, from a data that's somewhat partial or the decision making that's somewhat partial. That's what bias is about, right? So you get some information, you make a partial decision, that's bias. So when, when a human, again, AI doesn't program itself, at least not yet, unless we get uh, full uh, Skynet when, uh, when uh, Cameron is, uh, is ready to do that version, right? But, but until then, it's humans that advance AI systems, expert systems. So when humans program certain things, um, if they don't spend enough time in, in researching and, and doing work to remove the biases from the systems, it can, without knowledge, it, they may not purposely put it in there, 
but they don't make enough effort to remove the biases from that, from the decision-making process, uh, then it's going to be a problem. And the same problem comes from the fact that if you don't have the right amount of data, if you put a garbage in and creating a model, it's going to create garbage out. So you need to make sure that the data is actually scrubbed to, to produce proper results out of that. So essentially what that means is data has to be unbiased. You need to clean it up, scrub it, and make it clean quality data. I wrote another piece on that. And then the second piece is when you're creating a model and AI systems, make sure that that inherently doesn't make decision that's biased as well. So there are two pieces to that, that equation. I think that some people may be surprised by this because frankly, um, I think a lot of us are sort of, I don't know, techno utopians who believe that, um, you know, a, a system like a computer doesn't make mistakes. A computer doesn't, you know, how would a computer have bias? How would it possibly have like cultural bias when, uh, when it's a computer and it's not, you know, a living thing that has lived in a culture. But as you're pointing out in your article and, and here as well, there are a number of different issues that can lead to bias in an AI system. So, I mean, let's start with the first thing. So garbage in, garbage out. Basically, if you train your AI system only with this certain type of data that reflects a certain use case, that's the only thing that model is gonna be able to deal with, right? I mean, if, if you throw it, uh, you know, a completely different, you know, uh, situation, it, it, it may make no decision or it may make just completely the wrong decision or just an unexpected decision. I mean, you know, I mean, I think that maybe to, to kind of bring it home, like imagine if you trained a facial recognition system only with white male faces, it, it might not even be able to recognize the face of someone who's not in that category. Is that, is that what you're trying to say here? Yeah, yeah, to an extent, right? So actually, it's uh, funny you mentioned that. I actually wrote a follow-up article to that AI Trans article that's published on Forbes. If you uh, Google Forbes Andy Thurai, you'll be able to see it. Uh, in which I'm talking about AI is more about the data than AI itself. That's one of the points I talk about there. Um, the, the funny enough, the facial recognition software, um, which, you know, when, when they, um, so I wrote an article, a follow-up to that one recently, I forget where I published, but, but in which I talk about the fact that, uh, you know, there are companies pulling out facial recognition software from, agencies using it because they are worried about our biased decisions. But in that, when there was a research that's being done, they found out facial recognition system software is fairly accurate when it comes to white male category, right? And then they are very error prone, or at least very high rates of uh, uh, both false positive and false negatives when it comes to colored folks particularly African-American women, right? I don't know why. I don't know if they didn't train the model with enough data input, but it is what it is, right? I'm, I'm not here to judge a specific system one against the other. But when you have a system that's not, you know, um, um, good enough to make a decision, I'll, I'll give you this example. Um, this is a scary thought. Uh, I'll, I'll forward that to you and, and also we'll link it in here. Um, uh, this happened in Michigan, right? And this is again a written article, I'm not making this up. Uh, I think he published uh, an op-ed column either in the New York Times or, or, or Washington Post, uh, the, the guy who got affected. He, uh, a, a professional guy, uh, I believe he's an IT, um, 
when he was pulling into his driveway, cops pulled in and, and then they arrested him because the facial recognition system identified him as a suspect in one of the cases. And, and they came home, arrested him in front of his, his wife and daughters. And when he asked them question, what did I do wrong? Their answers were a machine made a decision saying that your facial matched with a guy who committed a crime some time ago. So they arrested him, he went to jail, and he was not granted permission to speak to the lawyer or no recourse for up to 24 hours that he has to lie down in filth in prison for a, for a crime that he didn't commit. And then at the end of it, not only the, the decision-making process was faulted, but nobody owned up the responsibility to it. They said it's a machine, machine that made a wrong decision. I mean, the machines are assisting. You shouldn't make the machine to make the decision. You can feed into you, and then you can make a decision. A human should be able to look at it saying that, you know what, maybe I agree, maybe I don't. The ultimate decision, as they say again and again, has to rely or, or lie with humans to make a proper decision. Because at the end of the day, not only about decision making, <clears throat> the, the, transfer, uh, the transparency, and if you have to prove to, to court of law, you have to prove to them, if your machine made the decision, not a human, that if you give the same, given the same set of data and parameters, every single time, the human will come at the same decision as the machine would. That's very important if the machine makes automated decision. Or you have to prove the machines assisted with the process, but it's a human who made the decision. So my problem right now with most of the systems are that things are not set up in place. Yeah, and in a way that that's a kind of a process problem. And that's kind of the issue too that you pointed out in your article, which is essentially if the machine is making a judgment call, how do we validate the judgment call? And I think that um, in that case, for example, um, you know, that could have been solved maybe by having a, you know, by having the machine suggest that perhaps this was an, a match, but then having uh, part of the procedure be that the human needs to like look at it and validate that and kind of, I don't know, sanity check it in a way to make sure that this really makes some sense. Um, and this is one of the problems here is that, um, you know, there's a difference between using um, this technology to assist us and using this technology in a way to replace us. Um, you know, similar to the whole idea of, you know, um, automated driving, right? Is it an assistive technology or is it fully autonomous technology? And the same can be true in, in business, right? If you, if you, for example, have an AI system that's analyzing the stock market and making decisions on buying and selling uh, based on a model that it's following, it could very easily go way off the tracks if yeah. you sort of set it loose without having the technology in place to kind of validate the judgments that it's making. Right. Another thing that you're mentioning here is the limited uh, collection of data that we have, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we still are in our infancy with uh, data collection and, um, and we need to basically figure out how to make the most out of that data without expecting too much. Um, AI is not about AI and algorithms and fine-tuning the models itself. It's more about the data than AI itself. So if you don't have the right data, I mean, people say, oh, Andy, when I talk to enterprises, they say, Andy, we collect unbelievable amount of data. Our data collection today is 20 times more than what we used to collect yesterday. And tomorrow it's going to be even 20 times more. But the problem is, that doesn't mean anything. You, you collect, because you collect garbage, 
that doesn't mean that you will produce quality models out of that. First of all, this is what I recommend to my customers. If you are going to be creating certain models or creating some systems, creating whatever, right? You got to figure out what is a, look, at the end of the day, we have moved into a, a data economy, whether you like it or not, right? We used to be in the computer economy, now we're in the data economy. So in order for the data economy to work and make decisions, create models out of that, you should be able to collect the right amount of data, right quality of data, and then make it ready for your models. And, and that article actually uh, goes into a little bit more detail than that. Um, but at the end of the day, if you look at the work of data scientists, they spend majority of their time, about 80 to 90% of their time in, in getting the data ready to create the models. Right? Yeah, and exactly. then model creation is easy. Yeah, and and I think that it's important what you're saying too that um, you know, it, it, you know, let's again let's take a think of a real world scenario, right? Um, imagine you had um, some kind of a, a you know telemetric system or something that was you know giving us um, you know telemetry constantly, you know, something simple like you know the lights are on, the lights are on, the lights are on, the lights are on. If if your data consists of a million examples of the lights are on, and no examples of the lights are off, then the system is obviously not going to be able to make any judgment when that situation happens. Um, you know, you have to have a variety of data, not just a lot of data. And in fact, it can even go the other way, right? I mean, if you basically have just a preponderance of of data that indicates one thing, it could actually overbalance the system in a way that may make it not able to adapt when something doesn't match, right? Right, so I'll also give you another example now that you brought it up. Uh, there is a concept, uh, there's actually a security issue with the, some of the AI models uh, that I talked about in one of the conferences. Um, it's called uh, um, data poisoning, right? Uh, and or uh, you basically skew the data. For example, if let's say you're a competitor, I'll, I'll speak specific examples. Let's say if you're a competitor of a certain company, say a car manufacturing company, I'm just making this up. I, 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 I'm not saying that this ever happened, just a hypothetical situation. That you, know, you somehow skew their data collection, suggesting the, the demand for your particular car is so high in this market that somehow you're making the company believe and they have all of those cars they manufactured geared towards a particular region, Europe, India, whatever that may be, and export all that. And then you know land all the cars there only to find out the data and the model what they created was completely wrong, right? And then while the competitor who poisoned their data or poisoned their process, poisoned their model, know exactly where to go, I'm just giving you a wrong example maybe, but where to go, and then they capture the market. That could apply not just in cars, in, in any commodity for that matter, soybean market maybe, or, or wheat market, or gold market, gold may not work because everybody needs gold, right? <laughs> but soybean or, or something else where you kind of, you know, skew their data models by, by parsing it. You know, that's, that's the next, uh, the corporate cyber wars. I see that it could go there by, by you confusing the data collection and the modeling and prediction of certain companies mm -hmm. and you use it to your competitive advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think that this maybe gets to the fact that, um, you know, there's, whole, there's a whole value judgment in here too, in terms of, um, you know, morality and, mm -hmm. and values, mm -hmm. like, like, should we, um, 
you know, can we rely on these systems to make good judgments? And another one of the issues that you bring up in your article is specifically um, teaching AI systems human values. And I love this idea, this uh, Quixote technique of basically um, putting rewards on socially acceptable behavior. So in your case, for example, you know, I mean, or even in the, the cases, you know, that we've been talking about, it, many times you might, um, you know, systems might be able to be hardened against um, malicious actions or even just um, poor data if they have uh, some kind of reward system in place to reward uh, socially positive or maybe even not socially positive, just like business positive outcomes, right? I mean, if in my stock trading example, right? I mean, maybe if, um, if you reward the system when it makes money and you punish the system when it loses money, it's not gonna cause some kind of a flash crash or something, right? Um, you know, it, how do you teach values to an AI system? That's the most difficult part, right? It's not just about teaching human value, but also the, the human feelings, as they call it, right? Uh, can you teach a machine how to love? I mean, there are a ton of movies that's taken on the subject. Uh, there's a Will Smith movie, I forget, yeah. which was a really good movie on the topic, right? Uh, can you teach? I mean, as, as someone once said, the, the, the art of love and fear and, and the human feelings to enjoy the beauty, it's hard to teach the machines, right? So when it's hard to teach those things, it's hard to teach the similar human values to that. I mean, let's say, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an idea, right? So uh, a machine, let's say, I don't know, I'll, I'll take some, some scenario. Again, purely hypothetical, not trying to politicize this, but let's say a machine makes a decision saying that in a certain coordinates lies maybe uh, a gang leader or, or a terrorist that, you know, who is in this place at this time, and then by doing a precise coordinated attack, we could get it at this person, and then that would save a lot of issues for a specific country, right? And once a machine makes a decision, if it is human, uh, there were like a couple of movies I watched in the past that that really touched me because the humans analyze to see what is the human casualty around it of innocent people, how many people will get affected, and how do you either mitigate it or or you know do a risk reward analysis and then pass on even though we'll get the number one terrorist in the world, there are about a hundred innocent civilians who have got nothing to do with that might die. A human values you know more at that point, so you call out the strike. But would a machine do the same thing if it comes down to it? And how do you teach that? Saying that, you know, and how do you say, okay, one human life is more than 10 or 100? How do you teach that value to, to a machine? And this is the classic trolley problem, right? The uh, idea. So the trolley is coming down the tracks and you're, you've got the switch and there's five people that could, would die if it goes this way. And there's one person that would die if it goes that way. Do you flip the switch? Right. And, the, the, the truth is that, you know, no one can say what the proper, you know, decision is. Yep. I've, I've heard people say, you know, I mean, you, there's a million variations, you know, okay, well, there's a mother with a baby versus yep. five old people. Like, you know, yep. do you kill one of those people? Um, yep. And the answer is, there is no good answer. But if we're leaving our systems to make these calls, to make these decisions, it could lead to serious ramifications, even if it's not a life and death situation, even if it's not, you know, bombing terrorists or switching trolley tracks, it could be a situation uh, simply where 
a system, a runaway system can, you know, blow all the money and make the business go out of business or ignore the hackers that are getting in through the firewall or whatever. There are all sorts of places and cases where values, um, where a judgment call can be wrong. Making a judgment call when the decision is not black and white, that is the most difficult decision makings an AI system will, 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 will face. Not today, not tomorrow, forever. If they make a decision, when it comes down to questioning that, it's easy to question a, a machine. For example, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this. Um, was it uh, Uber or, or Lyft that, uh, that had a self-driving system uh, down in Arizona that accidentally killed a person who was trying to uh, uh, cross the road? I think it was Uber, self-driving mechanism. And when I looked at that accident, the, the videos all came out and everything. And by looking at it very closely, I'm not trying to say whose fault it is and all that, but the reaction time that the machine had to react, the human would have had even less and they wouldn't have acted any differently, right? But if it's a human who was in there, the judgment process that we go through uh, to judge an incident when a judgment call is made is a whole lot different than when a machine makes a decision. It's today, it'll be tomorrow, it'll be forever, okay? So that's why making machines to make judgment calls is a very, very, very dangerous thing. It has to be human involved in the loop as far as I can foresee. So even if the system is set up correctly to make the correct call in development, um, how do you know that that's really what it's going to do in production? I mean, you know, the system isn't just the model. It's the model plus the data. And if it's confronted by different data, uh, how do you validate it? How do you make sure that the system is, um, you know, correct in its, uh, in its decisions? So a few things. One is, um, uh, as I again talk in my article, this is my favorite term I, I love to use all the time. You know, the old uh, saying from the, the old historians say that Caesar's wife might, must be above and beyond doubt. The same way your model should be proven 100% to make decisions right time all the time. That's one. And the second thing is, um, the, when you make a decision, um, you know, there are certain systems do that, certain systems don't. You have to give what's called a confidence score, all right? When the machine says, yes, I recognize that, that's Andy's face, how confident are you, right? Are you 99.9% .9 confident or are you about roughly 20% confident? So you got to not only factor the decision into your decision-making process, but also how confident the machine thinks it is on its decision, right? And the third thing would be, this is a very important thing, because the real world scenarios are so different. This is why even though Google, even though people are thinking Google, Google was giving free maps for us to use, they were mapping out the, the entire um, transportation system, which, and, and then also sending cars to map out the entire real world scenarios so they could advance their self-driving mechanism for all the anticipated real-world scenarios. So you have to train your system, not only depending on the model, train your system, let it out in the wild, 
and, and follow that to see if it is making the right decisions before you can deploy it consistently. Consistently is the key, right? And the last one is, a lot of companies don't do that. This again, my pet peeve. When, you, when a machine makes a certain decision, you need to capture not only the decision, but also the, the, the data input and the parameters that's used. Put it in, as they call it, the old political saying, put it in a lockbox <laughs> and, and have that available at a later time because when it comes to people questioning that, if a legal system or law or court questions, why did he make the decision? How did he arrive at that? They will have a locked, sealed, signed entity to prove this is the data inputs and parameters we had, and this is the decision the system made. And I'm 100% confident if you put a human to evaluate those terms, they will come at the same exact decision. And, and that is not in, in place in most places in my mind. So in closing, one of the things, um, you know, how you close your article, and I think that this is an important way to close uh, this discussion as well, is this core question of sort of the organizational culture and the organizational ethics. Um, essentially, if, if you have an immoral organization or an amoral organization, or if you have one that doesn't understand that you need to make calls like this, um, essentially you can't train a system to be more moral than the people who are trying to train the system, right? I mean, exactly if they right. don't keep these things in mind, if they don't focus on these issues, they will never be able to come up with an AI system that does because they, you know, won't have it. And so, for, for example, you know, you mentioned, you know, you have to have, you know, specific goals toward making sure that things are, um, you know, culturally and, you know, basically physically se sensitive to uh, the world of people, not just the uh, limited training set. Um, you know, the same thing is true all across. You know, you, you don't want to make a system that's immoral. Um, I think that this is honestly a hopeful message from you, though, that, that, that perhaps, um, you know, the culture of the organization can be a valuable aspect here. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually... A I couldn't have said it any better. It's uh, it's not only, you know, to validate your data, right, your models, right, whether you're making the right decisions, who is producing those models or which organization is producing that? And are they known to, um, you know, produce a good models or are they Cambridge Analytica, right? So it depends. I mean, if you, if you are known to do bias politically, socially, morally, or otherwise, then what guarantee people would have that you would do the right thing? Okay, doing the right thing, as I say, when nobody's watching. This is, I think, uh, the famous quote by the Intel founder, wasn't it? Uh, it's about integrity. Integrity is about doing the right thing when no one is watching, right? So that's all we can hope for. Absolutely, that is. And I think that, that really that is the ultimate answer to this whole question is figuring out how we can all make systems that do the right thing. And um, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for bringing up this topic, Andy. Um, tell us a little bit more, where can we find, um, first, I guess, where can we find this article and where can we find more of your work? Right, so I uh, to post all of my work at my website, thefieldcto.com. Again, that's thefieldcto.com. And you can follow me on either on LinkedIn and or Twitter at Andy Thorai. Uh, and the articles I publish in different places. I think a couple of the ones we talked about, one is in AI World, one is in Forbes. But if you go to my website, there are links under article sections that you could find them all.
Thanks a lot. Um, and uh, as for me, if you're interested in uh, corresponding with me, you can find me on Twitter at sfoskett. I also write at uh, gestaltit.com. And um, of course, this is the Utilizing AI podcast. You find us at utilizing-ai.com or utilizing underscore AI on Twitter. And please do uh, look this up in your favorite podcast feed. Uh, you can like and rate and review the, uh, the podcast there. That helps with uh, folks finding it. And you can also uh, uh, subscribe uh, through that or at our website. So thank you very much for joining us. Again, this is Utilizing AI, and we'll be back next time with another discussion of how we bring AI technology into the real world. <laughs>